This is the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. No Bazooka Joe this week. He's in Las Vegas. He's got other things to attend to, more important things, like getting his disciple, Malcolm Gordon, ready to go for his fight next weekend against Suma Derji that's taking place on UFC Fight Night. So I'm left to my lonesome for UFC 255 to break down this particular card. And it's a card that I really like. But uh, the big news of the day, Conor McGregor, according to the Mac Life, I think they're a pretty reliable source given that they are Conor McGregor's, I guess, entity for covering MMA, the Mac Life. The Mac, in, the Mac Life stands for Mac Gregor, even though it's McGregor, but it's neither here, here nor there. Oscar Willis, the fantastic reporter from the Mac Life, reports that the papers have been signed by both sides. It's going to be a 155-pound fight at UFC 257 in January. Location TBD, although Dana White earlier this week after the Contender Series alluded to the likely scenario that it will take place on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. So we have ourselves a fight, ladies and gentlemen. We've got the return of Conor McGregor after about a year absence. There'll be more than a year absence when he steps into the octagon to face Dustin Poirier. Six years ago, six plus years ago, they met for the first time, McGregor with a first-round finish. In a weight class that Poirier said he really never should have competed in in the first place, the 145-pound division. And since he's moved to 155 pounds, I think he has emerged as the second-best lightweight in the world behind Khabib Nurmagomedov. And if Khabib's retired, that would make him the best guy, I think, in the division. I, I think that he has done what needs to be done to earn that designation, win over Gaethje. Um, you know, that, that's, I think, the, 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 the big win for him, but also wins over Eddie Alvarez. Um, wins over Dan Hooker. You know, th- these are the kind of wins that cement you as the next guy. And I know he lost to Khabib. Connor has also lost to Khabib. You know, so you got to look for who the next best is. And I think that Poirier is the next best guy. So if McGregor is able to beat the next best guy, maybe we do see that rematch between him and Khabib. You know, Khabib at a press conference in Russia earlier this year uh, said that the person that he thinks he would face next is... Whoever beats Dustin Poirier. So if Connor ends up beating Dustin Poirier, you can make a case that that's uh, the way it's going to go down. And really, I'm eager to see how much these two have evolved since their first fight. Because there's no question how much Dustin Poirier has evolved. Like I mentioned, I think he is the next best guy in that division. But McGregor's evolved as well. The issue is we haven't really been able to see it. Because of his last couple of years, let's like put it into perspective. you got the, the boxing match against Floyd. And I guess you could see how he looked as a boxer and the kind of improvements he's made to his striking, although it's hard to really translate that to how it would look in MMA. The fight against Khabib, you know, he, he won a round against Khabib, which, aside from Justin Gaethje on uh, two of the judges' scorecards in the first round of, the, of their fight, the Khabib and Gaethje fight, uh, those are the only two that have ever won a round against Khabib, officially. But... That fight was mostly one-way traffic for Khabib. I mean, it was an easy win for Khabib Nurmagomedov. And I don't know what we really learned about Conor, aside from the fact that he was decent at, at stuffing the takedowns. On the feet, it looked like he had the advantage, although he did get tagged by Khabib during that fight. I think a lot of people knew that he would kind of have the striking advantage in that fight, and that's why Khabib went to his best weapon, the wrestling. And then the fight against Cerrone, he throws a shoulder and knocks Cerrone out really early in the first round, seconds into the fight, right? So then we have to assess where he's at recently. And I don't know how you do that. I don't know how we can figure out exactly where he's at, where Connor's at in, in this point in time, if he's evolved as much as Poirier has. Because we've seen 
it with Poirier in recent years. We've seen how good he's gotten. With McGregor, I feel like, and I said this before the Cerrone fight too, you know, and it's hard for me to go back on that because I I know that he beat Cerrone in devastating fashion, but we didn't get to see the weapons. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe McGregor has all these new weapons that we haven't seen. You know, you, you look at when GSP came back into the cage to face Bisping, he looked like a different fighter. He had all of these new tools at his disposal. Maybe McGregor's got a lot of new tools at his disposal that we just have not seen yet, and he's going to be that much better than the last time we saw him get a win in the UFC where you got to see what he could do, that win against Eddie Alvarez. Maybe he's added a lot more to his game, and he's going to be a way better fighter than we are, we are expecting. Or... Maybe we're going to see the same McGregor that we're accustomed to seeing, one that doesn't have fantastic cardio, one that, uh, you know, needs to get his opponents out of there earlier, uh, that, you know, as the fight goes on, his chances of winning become less and less. Maybe his, you know, maybe his cardio has improved. We don't really know. There's just not a lot to go off of with Connor, and that's the tricky part about breaking this fight down. I think Connor's a way bigger favorite than he should be. In this particular fight. I was actually surprised that he was favored against Dustin. Because like I said. We, we, we know what Dustin looked like now. We know how good he's gotten. He's a phenomenal fighter. But McGregor's minus 220. Poirier plus 180. Like I think you have to take Poirier at that price. Because we know how much better he's gotten. And we know that this is his weight class at 155 pounds. How good he's been. He's 9-2 and two since he last fought Conor McGregor 6 years ago. Conor I believe 6-2 and two since then. But Connor's fights have been all over the place. His only fights at 155 are Alvarez and Khabib. He's 1-1. One one. His fight against Cerrone, 170. His two fights against Diaz, 170. So, while I think you can say that 155 is Connor's natural weight class, I don't, I don't think that you'd be wrong if you said that, we just don't have much of a sample size to look at. And that's what makes it so difficult for me, if I was to decide who to pick in this fight, to pick McGregor. Because you're going off of the unknown versus the known. And I never like to look at the unknown versus the known. That's like with Kamzat Shemaev and uh, Leon Edwards. You know, I, I'm, I'm excited for this fight. But to see Kamzat as a minus 180 favorite against Edwards, like you're betting on the unknown versus the known, and I never think that that's a safe bet. That being said, if Kamzat wins that fight, I, you know, I mean, the sky's the limit with him. <laughs> he'll, he'll never be an underdog in the UFC again, right? Like... Even if he fought Usman, if he if he blows out Edwards in the first round and he fights Usman, I think he'll be the favorite in that fight. Call me crazy. Again, it's based on public perception, right? But in terms of this particular fight between McGregor and Poirier, and again, I sound like a broken record because I said the same thing before the Cerrone fight, and we just didn't know how much he had evolved, and we still don't know. He made such easy work of Cerrone, and that's that just goes to show how much of a gamer Conor McGregor is. I mean, you know, the lights go on, and nobody better than this guy when the lights hit. You know, I've, you've always heard these stories about, in practice, he's not blowing anybody away. But once the lights hit, and he's out there, and he's competing, he's, he's the man. So, there's still a lot that needs to go into this fight for us to really see how things are looking. I'm sure there's going to be press conferences. There's going to be mental warfare. Even Connor saying, oh, you know, I'm going to give money to charity and all this. He's kind of playing nice with Dustin right now. What happens when it starts to get nasty? And uh, can he break Poirier mentally? Let's find out. I, I can't wait to see this fight. Because I think that if Connor beats Poirier, he's the number one guy at lightweight. And if Khabib retires, 
Like Connor's the the man at the, in the division now. Like you'd have to you'd have to say that he is the number one guy in the division. And if Khabib sticks around, you'd have to say that Connor is going to get the next shot. That's just the way it is, because I think that a win over Poirier puts you there. Khabib himself said it. Khabib said the the per- if you want to be if you want to face me, you have to beat Dustin Poirier. So the gauntlet's been laid down. Let's see if McGregor is able to do it. And uh, if he does, I think it's a massive accomplishment. I think it's a way bigger deal than him beating Poirier the first time. Now, let's take a quick look at uh, last weekend's card. You saw Paul Felder and uh, Rafael Dos Anjos in the main event. And, uh, you know, the fight went basically how I thought it was going to go. I thought that uh, Felder was in tough against Dos Anjos. That uh, him taking the fight on such short notice was going to be an uphill climb for him and that's the way that it turned out. I mean, that's one of the worst split decisions you'll ever see. Chris Lee giving that fight to Paul, Paul Felder, he should be uh, investigated by the, the commission. It, there's just no rhyme or reason for being able to give Paul Felder three of those rounds. You might be able to make the case for two, maybe. There's no way Felder won three rounds. I think if you ask Paul Felder right now, how many, how many rounds do you think you won? There's not a chance he says, I think I won that fight. And I had posted uh, on Twitter that Chris Lee this year had been in Bellator and the UFC. I'm not, I'm not sure about any regional action that he might have judged, but in terms of Bellator and UFC fights, he was the dissenting judge in ten, in uh, sorry in, in ten split decisions. He judged ten split decisions. He was the, the dissenting judge in seven of those split decisions. That's not a good look. That is not a good look. And that scorecard was certainly not a good look because I thought that uh, it was quite clear who won that fight. And now you look at what's next for Rafael Dos Anjos. You know, I was asked that earlier this week when I was on with James Lynch. I said, put him against Makhachev again. If Makhachev was expected to be a minus 600 favorite against this Rafael Dos Anjos, first off, there's no way he's going to be that big of a favorite next time based on what we saw from Dos Anjos this past weekend. He'll probably be a two, minus 250, minus 300 favorite at, at best after what we saw from Dos Anjos. He looks like the Dos Anjos of old at lightweight. Although we we have seen in the past that Dos Anjos' kryptonite has been the wrestling, so I still think that Makachev would be the favorite. But he won't. He certainly won't be a minus 600 favorite. But I think you make that fight. I think that if you are trying to elevate Makachev, that's a fight where whoever wins that fight has a lot to gain. I think that if the expectation is that Makachev is going to beat Dos Anjos and Dos Anjos comes out on top, now he's right back in the mix for the title picture at, at lightweight. I don't, think he, I don't think you need to put him against the top five guy necessarily. I think... If you put him against a uh, surging prospect, I'm not sure if you can even call him a prospect at this point in time, in Makhachev, just a phenomenal fighter, I think that win would speak volumes for Dos Anjos. And I think that if Makhachev beats Dos Anjos, you have to rank him close to the top five because Felder, I believe, was a top five guy, and Dos Anjos beat him basically 50-45 on the two competent judges' scorecards. So that's what I would do next with Dos Anjos. That being said, if they signed Dos Anjos versus Gaethje, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna scoff at that. Dos Anjos versus Charles Oliveira, Dos Anjos versus uh, Dan Hooker. There are a lot of possibilities for Rafael Dos Anjos that are very, very intriguing. The co-main event, Chaos Williams. I interviewed Chaos uh, on the TSN MMA Show interview edition. If you haven't had a chance to check that out, it is available wherever you find podcasts. And if you're listening to this, chances are you know where to find it because uh, you are subscribed to the correct feed. And if you just stumbled upon this show for the first time, welcome. Enjoy. If you're listening to this on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa, we have a podcast. 
where uh, I take the best interviews of the week and I put them, well, not the best interviews of the week, all my interviews, whether they're good or not, they all get put onto a single show. And then you have this show that you're listening to right now as another podcast. So lots of content for you to wrap your head around in the TSN podcast world. And that includes great podcasts like Beauties with James Duffy, which uh, launched recently, and the Bar Down podcast. A lot of good stuff uh, coming out of the podcast sphere here at TSN. But I digress. Chaos Williams, fantastic win over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. You know, Al-Hassan is this guy who's known to be this first-round finisher. Most of his wins in his career, if not all of them, I'm going to take a look, actually, because I've got his, uh, his record in front of me here. Yep, that's a win, that's a win, that's a win. Yeah, all of his wins have come in the first round. So he's the guy that's considered to be dangerous in the first round. Chaos Williams beats him in 30 seconds, stiffens him. Unbelievable win for Chaos Williams. And outside of that, you know, I was really impressed by Sean Strickland. I thought he looked fantastic against Brendan Allen. That guy's got one heck of a jab. I wish I could throw a jab like Sean Strickland. I was hitting the heavy bag this week, and I was like, man, if I, if I, if I could throw a jab like that guy, that'd be nice. That'd be real nice. But uh, just a thing of beauty, and he's, he's great at connecting right at the end of his jab. I find that those are the people that have the best jab, the ones that can connect right at the very end of their punch, does the most damage. I mean, you, you could see Brendan Allen's face starting to swell really early into that fight because of how devastating that jab of Sean Strickland is. Corey McKenna scores a unanimous decision over Kay Hansen, 29-28 on all cards. I had a 30-27 for Hansen. Uh, I might have to go back and watch it myself because uh, – all three rounds were very close. You know, it's not one of those ones where I'm going to you know, scream bloody murder and say that the, the judges got this one wrong because uh, I think you can make a case for both of these fantastic female fighters to have won any of those three rounds. So not one of those ones that I am uh, going to get hung up on. But uh, those are the some of the uh, results from UFC Fight Night, Felder versus Dos Anjos. And now we've got a pay-per-view in front of us, UFC 255, with... Two flyweight titles on the line, the men's flyweight and women's flyweight titles, will be contested. The main event, Davis and Figueredo against Alex Perez. The co-main event, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Maya. And once again, I will promote that uh, Alex Perez and Valentina Shevchenko were both in the interview edition of the TSN MMA show. So please do check that out. The main event, though, Perez, as the challenger for Figueredo, I think does pose some interesting threats for Figueredo. You know, here's the thing about Figueredo. There are nights where sometimes he's just not the... Like, he, you, you wonder where he's at. You wonder why he's being so tentative. You wonder what's going on. And a lot of that was when he was at Team Alpha Male. Since he's left Team Alpha Male, he's been a little bit less tentative, been more, you know, fought more like himself. But Alex Perez is a fantastic fighter. You look at his record. He's 24-5. and five. His only UFC loss coming to Joseph Benavidez. And uh, part of that, part of what happened there was a uh, an unintentional clashing of heads. That really kind of rocked Alex Perez and put him in that spot. But he's got a lot of experience, and he's very, very well-rounded, which I think is his best asset as a fighter. Perez is great great on the feet. You saw his leg kicks and how he beat up Juicy Formiga, finished him with leg kicks in the first round. I mean, just chopping him down like a tree. And we've seen the leg kicks have had an impact on Figueredo. When he was fighting Benavidez, that was the one thing that was really flummoxing him with those leg kicks. He was hitting them and hitting him hard. And, uh, you know, Figueredo's pretty tall for the division and has very thin legs. So if Perez can implement that game plan and, and, and hit those leg kicks, you could see him in a position to win that fight and win it early if uh, if Davidson's not checking those the right way or, or is taking too much damage there. And uh, I, I think that with these odds, they're just way too uh, much in favor of Figueredo. Figueredo right now 
is a minus 270 favorite. That's actually gone down a little bit. Perez plus 230. And I still think that that is way too high for Figueredo. I think this is closer to, you know, Figueredo being around minus 175, minus 150. Perez is, is really being overlooked in this spot. And I uh, I think that uh, there's a lot of value on him at that price, the, the plus 230 price. Because I've seen what this guy can do. He's a really well-rounded fighter, and he's a, he's a tough out. So uh, let's see how he looks. Because, you know, another person I spoke to on the TSN MMA show, uh, Interview Edition, and I keep plugging that because I would like for you to download it and listen to it. Because uh, doing interviews are a lot of work. I put a lot of work research into it, and a lot of my week goes towards uh, making sure that these interviews are, are a good listen. Uh, Jason House from Iridium Sports is the, uh, the manager for Alex Perez, and also uh, Brandon Moreno and Brandon Royval, who compete on this card as well. Three of the four fantastic men's flyweights uh, that are at the top of this card. And uh, if Perez wins, he'll be the first champion from the Iridium Sports Agency, who have 90 fighters in the UFC. He'll also be the first champion from the Dana White Contender Series. He's the first person from the Dana White Contender Series to get a title shot. So a lot on the line here for Alex Perez, a lot of history that can be made. And when I spoke to Alex, he was talking about how, you know, he's got so many more things on his bucket list if he, he, after he wins the title. Like, he, he's not... He's not settling for just being the flyweight title champion of the world. He wants to defend the title. He wants to perhaps move up to bantamweight and win it, become a two-division champion. He wants to be the best fighter in the world. And, you know, I, I love hearing fighters be open about what their goals are and open about where they see themselves and talk about that. Because we've seen it with Conor McGregor and a lot of other fighters. You know, they're able to talk these things into existence. And uh, when Alex Perez says it, he says it with conviction. And uh, I think that Figueredo is a very, very dangerous fighter. I think that Figueredo has incredible power for the flyweight division, the best power of anybody in the flyweight division right now. And I think that's, uh, that is not even close. It's not even a close second. And Figueredo's also got devastating submissions. Like, he, he's great everywhere. So I'm certainly not trying to write off Figueredo. I just think that he's too big of a favorite here. Speaking of big favorites, Valentina Shevchenko minus 1450 against Jennifer Maya, who's plus 950. If Maya wins, she will be the biggest underdog if the line stays where it's at now, the uh, the the biggest underdog uh, to ever win a UFC fight, at least in the modern era. So, this is a uh, certainly a fight that has uh, you know the perception of being lopsided, and it's hard not to because we've seen Shevchenko beat a lot of really high quality women easily in the flyweight division. Now, Maya's, uh, Maya's a good fighter. You know, I, I'm not going to say that this is a total walk in the park for Shevchenko. I, I, I think that this line should be closer, but that being said, I really don't see Valentina Shevchenko. I don't know how she loses this fight. I mean, I don't know how Maya's going to be able to win three or five rounds. I don't think Maya's going to be able to submit Shevchenko. And on the feet, I think Shevchenko's got the advantage there too, right? So it's hard to know how Maya's going to win this fight if she is going to win this fight. That being said, this is the UFC, and we see it, all kinds of stuff happen all the time. Do I think Maya's the person to do it? I don't, but I do. I do think that it's a dog or pass situation at this price. I mean, you're not going to get any value at minus four fourteen fifty. You're better off looking at props. And one prop that I like in particular, actually, is uh, and actually it's not a prop; it's a total. I I like the over two and a half in uh, this coming event. I think that Maya's going to be able to hang tough for some time. And then if if you want to look at some some you know kind of bigger money props, you look at I think Shevchenko round four. Uh, what's the odds on Shevchenko winning? Yeah, Shevchenko wins in round five is plus 1075, and in round four is plus 750. I think those 
are interesting angles to look at because I think that these this does go into the later rounds, and if Shevchenko can get a finish, I think it'll be a late finish. Mike Perry, a minus one fifty five favorite against Tim Means, plus one thirty five. You know, Perry is uh you know, he's he's had some issues coming into this fight. There's been a lot of drama surrounding him in his life and uh his ex wife, Danielle Nickerson, has accused him of of committing domestic violence against her. And uh he, he denied that this week. But uh when it comes to the actual X's and O's of this fight, I think Perry does have uh an advantage over Tim Means. But means is tough. This is one of those ones that I think it's going to go the distance, and uh, it's going to be a close competitive fight. And I, you know, the line I think suggests that as well. I don't really see either of these guys scoring a finish here. Cynthia Calvillo minus two seventy. Caitlin Jukagan plus two thirty. This line is crazy to me. I think that Calvillo is way too big of a favorite here. It's actually the same line as Figueroa and Perez. I think she's actually. Uh, I think Chukagian's a much more live dog than Perez. I think that uh, this line should be closer to even. Like I, I think that one trend that I've always noticed in the uh, women's flyweight division is that, the, that women that move down from bantamweight, when they face women that move up from strawweight, the women that move down often win the fights. I don't know what exactly the percentage is, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's close to 70%, but uh, it might be higher. And uh, with Chukagian being that big of an underdog, I, I can see this just being a, a very close three-round fight that Chukagian gets the better of on the feet. I think Chukagian's got better technique on the feet. Um... And I think that's where this fight is mostly going to take place. You know, Calvillo, I think, will be able to get her down at some point in time, but I don't think she'll be able to keep her down there. And on the feet, I think Chukagin's got a, a small advantage. The rematch between Paul Craig and um, Shogun Hua, which was a split draw last time around. I think it was 29-28 Hua, 29-28 Craig, 28-28 draw. And uh, you've got Craig as a minus 170 favorite. I think Craig probably will win this fight. I, I think that um, he just looks to be making a lot of gains in his career, and he's kind of on the up swing where who is on the downswing. And then the aforementioned, uh, the, the main event of the prelims, I love this fight, Brandon Moreno against Brandon Royval. Moreno is one of my favorite fighters to watch in the UFC. He's so much fun to watch, and Royval's looked great also. He's also been a very exciting fighter. You know, if he wins this fight, you've got to consider him for being... Perhaps the, at least the newcomer of the year, although Hamza Shemaev, you know, if he beats Leon Edwards, kind of has that on lock. But if Royval ends up beating Tim Elliott and Kai Francis and Brandon Moreno, an underdog in all three fights, he would essentially be the number one contender for the flyweight title. And he would have been able to do it in the span of six months, less than six months. Like, that's pretty unbelievable. And Shemaev, I think, might end up becoming the number one contender at welterweight, <laughs> you know, or at least a top three contender at welterweight with a win over Leon Edwards in the course of whatever it is, five, six months. So, uh, you know, that's an even bigger feat considering how shallow the flyweight division is. But you've got to look at Royval as being the uh, newcomer of the year in the UFC if he ends up getting winning this fight. Uh, that said, I think Moreno is the rightful favorite. I think Moreno... Um, I, I just think this is going to be... You know, if you could bet on fight of the night, maybe you can. I would bet on this being the fight of the night. It's got fight of the night written all over it. And then Joaquin Buckley is back in action after that highlight real finish. Perhaps the best knockout in UFC history, at least on the short list. He's taking on the Beverly Hills Ninja, Jordan Wright. That's an interesting one. I think Buckley should win that fight. Uh, we'll see how he looks, but uh, I, I, lo- I like the way that he looked in that last fight. I, I also like the way he looked against Kevin Holland. I thought he fought the right way in that fight. He took it on short notice, was aggressive. Um, and I'd also like to see Buckley, if, you know, if 
Let's see how he continues to do at middleweight, but I think that, that perhaps he might want to pull a Shemaev and fight in two divisions. He's fought at one, 170 before. I think he, he makes 185 quite easily. So maybe he, he makes the move down at some point. Anthony Shevchenko, minus 160 against Ariane Gilipsky, plus 140. Um, I think that line is probably about right. I think Lipsky has kind of been disappointing in her UFC career. Lipsky, I think, has the tools to win this fight, but she's been a little bit disappointing. And I think Shevchenko on the feet has an advantage uh, just from a, a technical standpoint. This one I'm really looking forward to. Kyle Dawkins against uh, Dustin Stolzfuss. Stolzfuss is uh, a solid grappler, but I think that Dawkins is an even better grappler. And uh, Dawkins is always looking for the finish. I think he's a, a good fighter, an aggressive fighter. I'm not sure if he's turning it around a little bit too quickly. Uh, you know, that fight against Brandon Allen, he took a lot of damage in that fight. Perhaps he's taking, perhaps he's uh, getting in there a little bit too soon. But he's a big favorite in this fight, and I think he should be. Alan Joban facing the newcomer, Jared Gooden. Let's see where Alan Joban's at in his career. I think this is this line is exactly where it should be. You know, if, if Joban had looked like the Joban of old in recent fights, I think it would be a lot higher, but uh, not so in this situation. Louis Kosi against uh, Sasha Palatnikov. Palatnikov, uh, one of the few fighters from Hong Kong. In the UFC, he might be the only fighter in UFC history actually from Hong Kong. Uh, I think he's relocated to Nevada, but uh, is from Hong Kong. Big underdog against Koshi, and uh, Daniel Rodriguez, a big favorite against Nicholas Dalby, minus three thirty. That line I think should be a little bit tighter, but uh, Rodriguez has looked phenomenal uh, so far during his UFC tenure. Yeah, joined the UFC back in uh, February. As a big underdog, he's a 3-1 underdog against Tim Means and scored the win there. Beats Gabriel Green. I think he lost to Kevin Holland. I can't remember what happened in that Holland fight. Oh, no, sorry. Holland pulled out and he fought Gabriel Green. So, yeah, he beat Gabriel Green. That Holland fight never happened. Uh, that's why I can't remember it. And uh, then he uh, got that great knockout over Dwight Grant. That was a fun fight. So he's had a great year in his own right. Another, uh, another fighter that uh, has looked really good in 2020 during the pandemic era, if you want to call it that. Although his career started shortly before the pandemic era, and that was probably his best win, that win over Tim Means. So uh, a fun card slated for this weekend, and uh, I think there's uh, a lot to like. One thing that uh, shouldn't come as a surprise, but it's a headline that you never expected to see, the UFC have parted ways with Anderson Silva. They have released Silva from his contract at age 45, coming off that loss to Uriah Hall. Dana White said he didn't want to see him fight in the UFC again. Uh, You know, Kudos to them for releasing him, letting him go and explore his options. If he does want to continue his fighting career, they could have just sat on his contract if they wanted to. But uh, they respect Anderson, and uh, they respect his ability to make a decision for himself on what he wants to do next in his career. So uh, we'll see if the Spider decides to lace up the gloves one more time. But uh, Anderson Silva, a surefire Hall of Famer, one of the best fighters of all time. No question. A lot of good fights have been announced. Also, uh, as of late, uh, Nasrat Hakparas against Armin Saruki, and that's a great fight. That's UFC 257. Andrew, uh, Andre Munez taking on uh, Andrew Sanchez at UFC 257 as well. That should be an interesting one. Juliana Pena against Sarah McMahon taking place in the first event of the year, January 16th. We're going to have four weeks off! If you're a big UFC fan, and you've been watching every single week, they're taking four weeks off. I feel great for the staff of the UFC. These guys have been working their tails off. I mean, they've been nonstop. 
you know when Dana White says he's got the best team in sports, like you know the people surrounding him, it's hard to argue that. These people work so hard to get these events off the ground week in and week out. It's unbelievable how much effort goes into putting on these events. And I mean, I it you know it's a little bit less so when they're doing it in two locations, Fight Island and the Apex. So there's not as much travel involved. There's not as much uh, logistics involved and all that. But man, they work hard. So the last event of the year is Shemaev and Edwards, December nineteenth. Then there's no event until January sixteenth. So it's like four straight weeks. It's technically three weeks because you've still got Fight Week. The, you know the days leading up to that uh, next event. But it has been. Uh, Quite the year for the UFC, and it's been... I, I can't remember the last off week. I don't think they've had an off week since, like, they got started. Has there been a week off since they've... Maybe one. Maybe one week off since they got back, uh, you know, they did that event in Tampa. I think there might have been a week off right after that event. I might be wrong on that, though. But they've... Uh, well, they did three events in... They did three events in one week in Tampa, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I have to go back and look at the calendar. I have a tough time remembering inconsequential weird stuff like this but uh so there you go three three or four weeks off in a row you enjoy the christmas holidays not have to bug your uh, significant other about uh, not getting to spend saturday night with them oh you know it's time to watch the bites but i'll tell you this when that january 16th card comes around we are gonna be jonesing for that event we're gonna need our fix of ufc content so uh, let's see how that goes. Uh, some tough news from uh, the Canadian MMA side. Uh, Jesse Ronson, who came back to the UFC, he got cut on a three-fight losing streak, all split decision losses. Took him, I think it was six years to get back to the UFC. And he came back, guns a blazing, with a first-round knockout over Nicholas Dalby, a phenomenal knockout. Unfortunately, he uh, took to Facebook and said that he has been suspended for 20 months after testing positive for a banned substance. And that win, uh, subsequently, according to the UFC, has been overturned into a no contest. So Ronson still officially does not have a UFC win on his record. I don't know if the UFC are going to continue to have him on the roster. They might cut him after the suspension. I I don't know what what their plans are with him. But... uh, yeah, very uh, tough situation because he loses his win bonus. He loses his he lost a hundred thousand dollars, I believe. I, you know, I, he lost his. I don't know how much he actually made in that fight, so I can't say a hundred thousand dollars. But he lost 50, a fifty thousand dollar bonus, and he lost whatever his win bonus was. So that is just a tough break for Jesse Ronson, and uh, I don't know what the situation is there. I don't know. You know, I I don't know what the guy's putting into his body. I can't really comment on that. He says that it's that it. Uh, He's t- they sent a test uh, supplement to get tested. It tested negative for having any banned substances in it. He's trying to get to the bottom of it, but yeah, I uh, I feel I feel terrible for the guy. I hope that he's able to get back in there after the twenty months and uh, and get that that elusive UFC win. So uh, sending my best to Jesse Ronson, and uh, hopefully it all gets sorted out. But uh, it seems like he has accepted this twenty month suspension. So with this pay-per-view, you got another pay-per-view coming up next month, UFC 256. And I'm very curious to see what they do to supplement what I believe was the uh, the main event was uh, Megan Anderson and Amanda Nunes. It seems like they haven't announced anything. 
that's going to you know supplant that. You've got Piotr Jan defending the title for the first time against Aljamain Sterling, or at least attempting to defend his title for the first time against Aljamain Sterling. That's the main event, and uh, they haven't really announced the co-main. I know Tony Ferguson has been asking to get on the card with Michael Chandler. Chandler says, there's a 0% chance I'll fight in December. I want to fight you on the McGregor card, and that's just smart business. You know, To get that kind of exposure for Michael Chandler would be great. And then Ferguson came out and said that uh, apparently Chandler's fought a different bout agreement, so who knows what's going on there. But it seems like Tony Ferguson continues to draw the short straw. Gotta start feeling bad for this guy. You know, I I, I want to see Tony Ferguson back in action. It seems like he wants to be back in action soon. Dana White came out and said he believes that uh, Khabib is going to fight again. So the uh, McGregor and Poirier fight will not be for the title. Some uh, some big news there because uh, I think a lot of people believed Khabib when he said he was going to retire. I think Khabib believed that he was going to retire at the time. So. Unfortunately, uh, for McGregor and uh, and Gaethje, there will or McGregor and Poirier rather, there's not going to be a title on the line. A big signing took place in the world of uh, MMA. You got Fabricio Verdum, the former UFC heavyweight champion, signing with the PFL, and his rationale was he uh, he wants to have the guaranteed activity. He wants to win the uh, the million dollars in the heavyweight division, and uh, you'd have to consider him to be the favorite to win that million dollars in the uh, heavyweight division, especially based on how he looked against Alexander Gustafsson last time around. So, uh, congratulations to uh, Vai Cavallo for signing a uh, contract with the other uh, PFL. I'm uh, interested to see how he looks in a, a new promotion. He, uh, I guess, decided to forego a potential rematch with Fedor Emelianenko, which uh, a lot of people had talked about, him signing with Bellator and, uh, and taking that fight. So, uh, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that he didn't resign with the UFC. I'm not sure if the UFC wanted to keep him... Uh, on board, or, or we're willing to pay him what I believe he he believes he's worth to stay with the UFC. It seemed like he had his eyes on uh, promotions outside of the UFC, especially following uh, his USADA suspension. I don't think that he was uh, very pleased with having to be on the shelf during the uh, the late part of his career. Uh, the Dana White Contender Series is done for the year, and uh, I think there's some solid prospects that come out of this year. I went on uh, I was on Twitter after the event. And uh, I mentioned the uh, the five fighters that I, uh, I I'm most excited for from this series, and uh, I think that uh, you take a look at Adrian Yanez and how he performed in his debut and and on the show. I think this guy's got a, a very bright future. He's he's the guy that I think has the most upside of anybody on this season. Uh, Jimmy Flick is competing. I believe it's next weekend. Uh, he's somebody to watch. He's a really fun fighter. He reminds me of Jimmy Hedis. Just always looking for submissions. Very crafty, very awkward. like the way he fights. Uh, Phil Hawes. I was very disappointed with Phil Hawes early in his career. I, I thought he was given opportunity after opportunity to get to the big show, to show that he was able to live up to that potential. And he just kept falling on his face. And now it looks like he has something has changed in his approach. Something has changed. I don't know if it's his mental approach, if he's training differently, if he's training with new people. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's working. Because he looked great on the Contender Series and looked phenomenal in his debut. Uh, he's somebody that I think, if he can live up to the potential that I think a lot of people thought he had early on in his career, the sky's the limit for him. He's got so many good tools. And uh, now that he's actually faring well when the opportunities are coming, I think we're just going to keep seeing this guy rise. Uh, Ignacio Bahamondes. This is a guy who 
has devastating striking, and he showed that off in his uh, contender series fight. He's somebody that uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do in the big show. He he might end up having the most potential of anybody, but uh, I would go with Yanez personally. If you're giving me uh, all, a list of these these individuals, I would say Yanez probably has the most upside, but Bahamondes looks like he's the real deal too. Luana Pinheiro, the only uh, female I had on this list of five, she looks like she has a lot of great weapons, and uh, I'm eager to see how she looks uh, at on the big show. But uh, a lot of interesting signees. I, you know, I would guess that there have got to be close to 100 people on the UFC roster that have competed on the Dana White Contender Series. Not necessarily got a contract, but there have been so many fighters that have come out of this system and gotten a chance in the UFC. And uh, I think what they've, they've really built something great here with the Contender Series. I think it's one of the best things the UFC has ever done. The format is fantastic. You, you're on the edge of your seat. The way that they've put an emphasis on, on impressing Dana White, I think that it makes people fight differently with more urgency, and I like that. I like that element of it. I like that we have to wait till the end to see who Dana White's going to give a contract to. I like seeing his reactions during the fights. I like that it's a kind of an intimate environment, although <laughs> less so with the pandemic this year and all the events taking place at the Apex. It's always an intimate environment now, but... Uh, I just think that we that they have a real winner with the contender series. I think you know, and I think that if you argue otherwise, uh, you know, I don't know what you're watching, but uh, it's it's been a really fun show to watch, and uh, they've just hit a total home run with it. You know, you got to give credit where credit's due. I think that the UFC have done such a tremendous job in building that property. Um, I wish they could do it more than more than one run a year, but uh, <laughs> you know, Dana White says that you know we can't. <laughs> they're they're going to run out of talent, going to run out of people. But I'm sure there's no shortage of people that want to be on the show. But uh, the, the Contender Series, I think, has just been a, it's been a slam dunk. And apparently the Ultimate Fighter is coming back in January. They're going to start filming the Ultimate Fighter. It's returning. No coaches announced yet. I wonder who they're going to have as the coaches. I think Masvidal versus Covington is intriguing. Although that, that might get booked sooner. Although maybe that's the reason it hasn't gotten booked is because they want to do that. That would be a, an interesting proposition. I think uh, you could do uh, Jan and Israel Adesso and you had to build up that fight. Especially if it's going to be in March, timing checks out there. That would be uh, that would be fun. You take a look at uh, you could put John Jones in there with whoever you're going to have him fight first at heavyweight. You could do Francis and Stipe. There's a lot of good options, a lot of really interesting options for uh, coaches for the Ultimate Fighter. One that somebody threw at me was uh, T.J. Dillashaw and Uriah Faber. The, the team alpha male falling out, and. Uh, Faber has been pretty vocal about wanting to face Dillashaw when Dillashaw comes back. Um, that would be a good fight, but uh, you know, I mean, you'd have to give Dillashaw kind of the advantage there because of the age. But uh, that would be a, an interesting pairing. I like that idea. Whoever threw that out there, I, just, I, I can't give credit to whoever it was on Twitter that put it out there because I don't have their name in front of me. But uh, if it's you, kudos to you. If you're listening, I can't take credit for it. Not my idea, but. Uh, just a uh, a phenomenal idea, and I'm I'm eager to see how the contender series does. Uh, or sorry, the the Ultimate Fighter does. Are they going to make changes to the format at all? Like, is it going to be the exact same show? They kind of get a clean clean slate here, and they should take advantage of that. Because I feel like the show had gone stale, and I still feel like the the format needs to be shaken up a little bit. So. Let's see what they come up with. I, I believe it's the uh, the bantamweight division is one of the divisions, and I can't remember what the other division is. Some news just came down. 
uh, Rob Devalashvili said that well, this doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but uh, they've canceled this fight against Rowney Barcelos because they want him to only fight a ranked fighter. <laughs> I don't think the commission would have any say on that. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> but uh, I was looking forward to that fight. That, that those are two really great up and coming fighters in the division. So uh, hopefully they can uh, figure something out there. But that's a uh, that's an interesting uh, comment from uh, Marab Devalashvili. And Marab's one of the more interesting people you'll ever encounter. If you ever meet Marab Devalashvili, he's an interesting cat. He's a very very odd fellow, which is why what I love about the guy. Hamzat Shemaev is ranked. Ranked number 15 in the welterweight division. I might have been the biggest advocate for this out of anybody. And I still think that I might be one of the few, although it looks like the rankers have bought in now. I'm surprised that it's at welterweight and not at, um, and not at middleweight where he actually has two wins. He only has one win at welterweight, but I think he should be ranked in both divisions. And people think I'm crazy. And I base it on on odds and people think that that's silly but if he was going to be favored against everybody except for two fighters in the welterweight division how can you not rank the guy like i don't think that you could say people say oh well, what about chaos williams he gets two wins in 30 seconds do you think chaos williams would be favored against the, anybody in the top 10 of his division of the welterweight division i don't i think he'd be an underdog now i'm not saying he, he would he would lose those fights necessarily but I don't think that the perception is that he's as good of a prospect as Hamza Shemaev is, even though we've seen two fantastic finishes from him. And I think that's because we got to see a little bit more of Shemaev. We got to see him use his wrestling. We got to see how dominant he was with his wrestling. And then we got to see how vicious his striking was. So we've seen all the different tools that he has and, and how he's able to dominate with both those tools. So I, I kind of understand why people... You think more highly of him than the other prospects. And there's something there with this guy. There is something there with this guy. And I am glad to see that he got ranked because I, I just think that it, it's the right thing to do. I think that he deserves to be ranked in both of those divisions, honestly. And if you looked at the people that he was replacing, at least when I had made the case that he should be ranked, a lot of, like, one was Nate Diaz. Like, what, you know, Nate Diaz has beaten Anthony Pettis. And I think Anthony Pettis is one of the other ones at 170. And then you've got Robbie Lawler. You know, th these aren't fighters that have, have great resumes at 170 pounds. So, and I think that if you put Shemaev against any of those people, he's a big favorite against them. Like, I think against Robbie Lawler, he'd be a 4 or 5 to 1 favorite. That doesn't necessarily mean he, he would beat Robbie Lawler, but let's see. Let's see what this guy can do. But I, I just think that, that based on the perception of him, that he has the potential to be a future champion, that he's just running through UFC fighters. We saw Reese McKee this last weekend, and he lost to Alex Morono, but he hung in there three rounds. He looked good at times. This is somebody who can hang with UFC fighters. And Chemayev just absolutely mopped the floor with that guy. That guy, And people said, oh, he was moving up from 155. He just fought at 70 again. So it's not like this guy was like, well, I took the fight just so I could get into the UFC. He's still fighting at 170 pounds. But uh, obviously the big test for Shemaev is the end of the year. The last fight of the year, himself versus Leon Edwards. And uh, let's see what this guy can do. <laughs> I mean, this this is the epitome of being thrown into the deep end, is having him face the number three ranked welterweight in the world, a guy who's on an eight-fight win streak, hasn't lost in years. Let's see what you can do, kid. It's time. It's time for Hamzat Shemaev to prove that he is a top guy and that, that the hype was real. This is the, this is the opportunity.
Let's see what this guy's at. It's time for Shemaev to show what he's got, and it's time for me to check out. This has been the TSN MMA Show. I'll be back next week, hopefully with Joe again and Malcolm Gordon. Joe is with Malcolm Gordon in Las Vegas, and I'd love to hear uh, how their week is going leading up to his second fight in the UFC on UFC Fight Night against Sumaderji. Nice to uh, see a Canadian in action, not to mention not just any Canadian, but a Canadian that trains with my podcast uh, co-host. And I always love hearing Joe's stories when he comes back from Las Vegas. He's always got good ones, so happy to see Bazooka Joe uh, out in Sin City getting his uh, disciple prepared for uh, his next fight. So that'll do it for this week. We'll see you next week.